0: On chain
1: with Emin Gu Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of uh, On Chain. And uh, it's uh, been a great, fun ride recently following the ETF and the after effects of the ETF on the crypto space. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you, at least I'm recording this at a time when uh, the entire space seems to be picking up even more momentum with every passing day. This is exactly as we expected with the ETF. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around um, at least Manhattan uh, in digital assets of different kinds. So uh, that's the backdrop and it's a fantastic time to be coming back to you. There's a bunch of good, good news all across the, the crypto space in general. And um, uh, But if I look around at the technical accomplishments, they are far and few in between. And the main one, the one that I'm excited the most about is the one that's coming up. uh, That's called the Durango update for Avalanche. This might seem like a small thing. We we have these ABCD updates as we're now on the D one. Um, It might seem like, uh, you know, like something that other people also make a bunch of noise about. This is fundamentally different than what you might be used to. It's not a new little tiny tweak on chain. It's not something invisible behind the covers. Uh, what Durango brings is, is seamless interoperability across multiple chains, and that's a huge new enabler. So uh, I can't wait to see the demos. I can't wait to see what the platform team will put together to showcase what Durango enables. Now, is this the end for interoperability? No, It's. I think I would say this is somewhere, we're past the beginning, uh, somewhere one of the big milestones in interoperability, but there's much more to do. And all of that is in the pipeline, uh, of um, of interoperability, interoperability and operability across disparate chains. All of that is coming to Avalanche, and with that is is uh, it brings to us the ability to create tokens for different purposes and to seamlessly use them in your own subnet as gas, in uh, and then to bring them back to the C chain and maybe use them as collateral, and then take them back to your chain and use them as as uh, whatever else it's they're supposed to do on your chain, whatever else your specific tokens are supposed to do there. And then bring them back to C-Chain and use them in other DeFi activities as well. So, um, so that's a big new enabler for us. You heard the vision of, uh, of, uh, of multiple chains many, many times. And once again, I'll repeat, unlike Ethereum, unlike Solana, we are the only, only multi-chain system in the top 10. We're the most advanced one with the, the, I would say, the most uh, technically interesting features. So check that out when it goes live. And and then otherwise, uh, I think it's a a time of staying put as the crypto space and watching the asset base grow, watching uh, essentially uh, growth take place across the globe for crypto and digital assets. So that's sort of where I'm coming from today. It's a glorious day in New York. And I have a very, very special guest today. And the bulk of the discussion today is going to center around NFTs and everything that sort of uh, branches off of NFTs, community, uh, growth, uh, excitement, hype, and, uh, and everything associated with, of course, uh, in particular, uh, in this case, it's going to be the Dokio founder, Brando, who's gonna tell us about the future of Dokio and what he plans for it. So Brando, um, welcome on board.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Great, great to have you on. So tell us a little bit about, uh, so for people who may, may not have followed the NFT happenings on, on Avalanche, tell us a little bit about Dokyo. I always like to go into the technical stuff first and then we'll pull back out and talk about you as a founder and your motivations, your values and so forth. But well, let's understand like what, what is Dokyo?
0: Yeah, so Dokyo means courage in Japanese. And the way I found the name is I just went on Google and I'm like, what's the most important quality of any leader? And I realized it's like courage and grit. But ultimately, I was going for grit. So it's the the ability to see fear and go through it anyways. So I'm, my goal was how do I embody something like that into a collection and then empower other people with that? Because when it comes to NFTs, it's a it's about having that emotional connection and empowering all the people that are part of it. So if it's the community is DeFi focused and they can have a face and they can show the world, hey, this is me as I show up. Uh, of course, you have social status and all these other things, but well, we get into that in a bit. So, Dokyo what is a collaborative venture studio, and the goal is, it's like, think of it like a think tank of a collective of people that all share similar values. For us, it's around Japanese culture, and we did a few workshops together where it's like, okay, let's let's think of an idea together. Let's bring it to life as a collaborative, and then let's figure out ways where we can reward all the people that contributed. So, think of a like Kickstarter but as a group. And so of course, there's all these different nuances that come out of it, where you have fashion and art and culture and building upon it. But the, the core of it all is ultimately you're never alone. You're a legend, no heroes alone, if you're amongst legends. And so embodying that courage where it's like, you know, you'll see a lot of this uh, narrative where it's like, you're strong, the matrix, this and that the world is against you. You have to be very strong. But if you think about it, everybody that gets to a certain position they get there with people. They get there with the people, the supporting, whether it's a teacher, an audience, your friends. And so, yeah, our goal is to embody that and uh, and have a lot of fun as we do so.
1: That, that's amazing. So, you know, I use a PFP that's uh, from the Tokyo collection these days, and I've loved it, and I love that aesthetic. And uh, I think it's one of the few um, sort of Japanese uh, aesthetics, so and few NFT series based on the Japanese aesthetic, no? It's
0: yeah, I would say... The I would say a lot of these collections, what they do is like they'll they'll find like an art, get inspired. For us, it was super important to be as authentic as possible. So we we found in a a studio in Japan, they didn't speak English. So we had to speak through translators for like three or four months, sometimes Mm -hmm. even more. And they were so critical, they would ask like this most specific details where we had to like go and like explain it. And then sometimes it didn't get explained and it would come back a different thing and it worked. Sometimes it didn't. And so through trial and error, our goal was to have this like feeling and it's interesting because when we were shopping the, the art around as like a, a lot of artists were like oh you know that's wrong it should be like this or this should be like this and i think it's interesting because it has to feel right like when people look at the collection like hey that that looks different that that looks right and mm-hmm. i'm i'm actually super happy that you went and you chose that the, the visionary one which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite masks as well and i was like this this resonates we're keeping this cuz we were going to take it out and i'm like no 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 there's something oh, no. about this futuristic like it's- i can you know
1: are you serious like you were going to take out the pfp that i ultimately chose to use <laughs> there's yes. a few
0: there's a few that made it and i'm like no like our team had to like decide which ones we liked which ones we didn't like and uh ah. that was the whole process oh, as well it's,
1: i i thought i got the very best dokyo just so you know but that's probably true of a lot of your dokyo holders as well i hope right that uh, they believe they have the the one that's just right for them so okay tell me more about the concept so Uh, courageous leaders. You're never alone if you're in your tribe. And uh, so what else, like what else does, does Tokyo represent?
0: Yeah. So I think uh, just having these, when we were building the collection, there's a lot that goes into it that many, let's say they don't like maybe lean into and that's okay. There's a rarity aspect where you have to have a certain number and percentages of each one. And so when you're building a collection, think of it like mini tribes within the big tribe. So let's say even if you were to look at Avalanche as a whole and then you have like different verticals, right? You have like your NFTs, you have your DeFi side, you have your um, institutional and everybody's its own little tribe in a way that all connects. And so when you're doing a collection, think of on like a micro level where I want like 60 to 70 masks for this type of specific mask. So then that group of people can then form and there's enough people in there to make a fun little difference within each other. So, for example, the hollow mask, a lot of people are like, oh, I love this one. We're going to bond our, our own little community around that. And if you can create that, doesn't mean it's going to stick because you never know going into it, but you create enough foundation of it where people are just going to, cho- like some of the non rarest masks are now sought after because people just like them the most. And so you create mm-hmm. this dynamic and it's like a, almost like like game theory. And um, if you can do it to a certain extent, you can. Uh, you can create demand within the collection, outside the collection. And then, so there's social status from like the outside looking in, but there's also social status within the tribe.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. That's interesting. I want to, I want to expand on that a tiny bit, but before then um, I want to run something by you. So, um, uh, you know, like a lot of people, it took me a while to, uh, to understand how, or, or or exactly uh, why these NFT communities formed what, you know, what made some of them grow and, and get exciting, what made some of them kind of just disappear and not find traction. And uh, something that uh, someone said to me that was insightful was, think of them like country club memberships. Don't think of them as as pictures or PFPs, but think of them as as communities across the globe that people want to, will pay huge sums of money to participate in. And um, at the time, of course, I was struggling with the valuation for board, uh, board APOT clubs or whatever BAYCs. And, uh, you know, uh, the people were paying multiple, multiple millions for these things. And it um, so was a lot of money. And, but once you see it as, oh, that's the kind of money that some people would pay to join a highly selective country club, that makes sense. Is that how you view it or how do you view it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think. It's just the way that works but the more pricey it gets the harder the barrier of entry and people value it more and so the way we set up our community like in our even in our discord and i'm going to just explain like my thinking of how i came to understand this as well is when i i used to be a barber for 15 years and i had a barber shop and i would always tell people when you when you walk in the shop you acknowledge everybody else and then this borrowed credibility aspect where it's like you big up each other so when if i if i were to go out with you in public and um i introduce you and you introduce me that's so much more powerful than us introducing ourselves because it's like there's a level of borrowed credibility and as like you are respected amongst your tribe so you create this sort of dynamic and um and i i really truly believe that the quality of the members will just boost and then people will then be like okay if i get in there it doesn't guarantee that i'm going to have like all of these resources what it's going to guarantee is that i can I can run into people and maybe during regular casual conversation, things can, you can find out if this person and you like anime, and then all of a sudden now you have a common interest. So you're increasing the odds from proximity. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you're both part of the same tribe, you're going to be willing to listen a little bit more. For example, if someone really loves avalanche and you love avalanche, you're, you're, you're going to be more receptive to what they're saying because they're building on your chain versus, I mean, another chain or whatever else, like whatever it is, we're tribal, by nature. And so it's like, these are like think think of them like little clubs within the bigger hole. and then it's like why do you choose that chain and then those are all like different dynamics but ultimately it's i i value who's in there mm-hmm. i value what and then the narrative of like what it represents and then if they represent it and they value it now i'm getting the board credibility from them by being part of that tribe i've seen mm-hmm. people's whole career shift in web3 as soon as they join the right group they'll buy, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll change their pfp all of a sudden they have all the credibility it's added, and then let's say the guy is a watch dealer. Who do you yep. think he's selling his watches to? The whole club. Boom, mm-hmm. his business took off. Uh, he's a car dealer. Like, okay, I got you. Uh, let me walk you guys through to not make a mistake. All of a sudden, he builds. And so the whole tribe can then, it's think of it like a mindshare map where everybody contributes, and then all of a sudden, everybody's an expert in every situation, and they can pull the resources when they need to.
1: Absolutely. So I, I've seen this time and time again. Um, the uh, sort of The groups that know how to cultivate the in-group behavior, the groups that actually build a nice community around whatever their chosen theme is, um, they're incredibly strong. So I watched um, recently, actually, I would say maybe um, in the last six or nine months, there was someone uh, who was part of an NFT. He he held one NFT. I forgot which one it was. uh, Lost his entire collection, lost access to his wallet, lost everything. Went from whatever he was at to zero. And uh, it was his NFT crowd that got together and uh, got him a, a replacement NFT to still be a member of that club, uh, as well as uh, replenish some of the, the capital he lost. Uh, again, in avalanche. We've had people who lost their savings because of mishandling their keys and so on. And the community came together in the early days to help people who were who were uh, who were part of it. So that cultivate. So what what have you done to cultivate that uh, that feeling of camaraderie? that that whole club like feeling that community like feeling it's not just a collection of people it's really a something that's tighter than that right
0: yeah yeah so there's so there's multiple things that i think get overlooked and the first one is the prep the prep work mm-hmm. so we knew that we were going to launch this collection months before and actually it's a funny story because i i said you know what i'm going to get a polaroid camera at summit and then at summit that was actually my first experience of like wow there's a big culture here that's not because I, I was originally on Solana and like mm-hmm. we were like a hyperbolic time chamber of just 20 projects launching a day. It was very community, very uh, just fast paced. And so coming here, I realized, OK, so there's an NFT world, there's a DeFi world. And they're, a li- they're not really super ingrained because I guess the focus was more on the DeFi side. And then now it's like NFTs. And now you're starting to see them kind of come together. So during that period, when I got to Summit, I looked around, I'm like, OK, this is a very vibrant ecosystem like, like I, I felt like, okay, there's something here. Uh-huh. And so we got a Polaroid camera and I went up to everybody <laughs> and I took a picture with them. And I said, okay, I'm going to get you in the Discord. We're going to have a chat. And um, and I one by one white gloved them into the community. Some of them stuck. Some of them, you know, okay, this guy's putting the time and effort. And when it comes down to his hospitality. Mm-hmm. So actually you were walking out and that was the first time someone said, like, hey, hey, like, see you. And my, one of my guys was like, you should get a picture with him. And then I saw so I run up to you. And you're yeah. walking out with your with your guy, and I'm like, hey, do you want, like, let's take a picture. And then you turn around, and then your and then your guy like gets up, and he's just like, hey, hey, and he's like, <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. And you grab the camera, and you like, we wanted to go take a selfie, and then you took the picture, and there was no more
1: film left, and no, we're all like, oh, it was, <laughs> I, I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. So my guy, my guy there is of course uh, the security fellow that I had, and he's he's fantastic, and. Um, and yes, I remember he tried to intervene, and then we tried to take a picture. And it was maybe the last day as I was walking out. But we ended up didn't somebody else take a picture with their uh, with their cell phone? And then we got the selfie taken, though.
0: No? Yeah, I think someone took a picture, but the the Polaroid. Yeah, just it wasn't became Polaroid like... I
1: know that's so, yeah, too bad. Nick, so, next so, so, segment, Nick, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to add, uh, finish off where it's like, and then it doesn't stop, right? Then you launch mm-hmm. the collection. And you have your holders and now it's like we have our hollow club which is like a little bit more boutique and it's a, a the higher ticket the rarest masks and so i'm like constantly asking them hey do you guys want whitelist for this and it's and what i notice is that that trickles down and so the leadership starts and then it goes to your team and then it goes to your like your your biggest holders but you obviously never forget about your your wide holders but it's a uh, it's it's also very difficult to say hi to everyone at the same time like for you for example right you're in this position where it's like you comment on someone's post It's like, holy shit, he commented. Mm -hmm. And so, but you can't comment on every single person that's in your post. So it's, um, it's, it's like a micro version of the whole chain, but it's a little one. And it's, Mm -hmm. so it's like doing things the right way, empowering your people to then empower the people under them. And then it kind of just trickles down.
1: Awesome. So tell us a little bit about the man behind the whole operation. So you have an interesting background. Uh, that we were talking about right before the podcast started so um, so how did you find yourself you mentioned that you did a uh, you ran a barbershop for 15 years uh, is is what you said so uh, so where did we start and uh, and there's a solana stint in there as well and how did we end up on avalanche i'm very curious about that whole arc
0: yeah yeah so i started cutting hair when i was 14 i we me and my buddy had like an older brother and he was the coolest guy cutting hair in his garage all the cool. All the cars were parked outside. He was socially, I'm like, i mean, I want, I want to try that. And so that turned into me being like full-time around 16, 17, I would finish school, go right to work. And then, um, yeah, I cut hair for years and worked my way up. And then around, I would say a few around eighteen, nineteen. 18, 19, my friend was like, Hey, have you heard of like Monero and Bitcoin? It's going to be the future. So I used to cut hair and he used to pay me to go download the wallet, go through the whole process. So I had crypto, but I was too young to understand Like we knew it was the future, but we just didn't know how it was going to be. And so that led to roughly around the ICO phase of ETH. And then I started getting involved and I got a couple like wins and I'm like, okay, I round tripped everything because you just think that you're early and you never understand. Mm -hmm. And um, that led me to
1: round round trip round trip means you held it all the way to zero back to zero i held
0: it all the way up i thought i was the top of the world and then i i, I stood on my balcony staring outside at the sun just understanding like what i did and why um was greedy and i did i started doing push-ups because i just didn't know what to do with like the level of energy of like you 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 had this and now you don't and yeah that's a whole other layer where I, I actually started educating people mm-hmm. going through that so i think it was a blessing but in the moment it did not feel like a blessing that's for sure
1: I, I can I, I can I think everyone listening can uh can they can empathize uh so uh this is uh this is very common right it takes years to learn how to how to sell valuable things so um uh, so yeah no that's uh so okay so tell us more so you there you are getting into Monero and Bitcoin then what
0: and then yeah so a few wins there and then 2019 hits and I'm like you know what I don't know if this is what I want to do anymore. It's been like roughly 15 years of cutting hair. And I decided to take a break. I cut off everything. I I um, I um took about eight months, no alcohol, no gluten, worked out every day, meditated every day, super strict, like got, got moved out of the country. And I would just went into this, like, what do you want to do? And why are you so dependent on your successes? Like my my, my self-worth was haircut, money, haircut, money. And so like, I started like learning that mindset. And I'm like, Okay, how do I get out of that? And then also on top of that, I'll teach my family and everyone else around me. And so, yeah, so that um, th- that that was a, a lesson learned. And then I started my Twitter. And I said, mm-hmm. you know what? NFTs remind me of tokens. Yeah. They just have faces. It's the same thing. And so we, I started tr- like just educating on Twitter. And I'm like, I'm going to start telling everybody what I'm going for. And so I would call founders. I would reach out to them. And I would treat them like they're my in my barber chair. So I would just have talk after talk with all these founders. Hey, is there any way I can help you? What's going on? What drives you? And then, okay, these guys are not serious. Or I would go on their discord and I would ask funny questions just to see how the team would respond. And then I would make my like analysis and it was always pre mint, it was never after. So it was kind of all fun. That turned into a group because I was just getting like hundreds of DMs a day. And then I educated the group and the goal of the group was to be a incubator. Mm -hmm. The goal was to be like, hey, we're gonna help projects succeed. But then what we realized is we actually were just helping people succeed. So people would enter the, ch- the group, they would learn about the space. And then that's how I actually met uh, a few of the guys turned into Ava Labs employees. Some mm-hmm. guys started working at Magic Eden. Some guys started working in op- own, opening their own project because you never knew who's joining that group and what accolades they had. They just didn't know where to start. And so we created this like, hey, no one dumps on each other, no one swears. There was rules in this community. You wanna mm-hmm. be in this community? you're gonna You're gonna hold yourself accountable. And if you do some stuff, you're getting banned and it's your responsibility. No one else's. You do something. So we we taught these like lessons and then people really were grateful for it. And then that's actually how I met Dom and the rest of the boys, because they're like, hey, like, how do we emulate that over here?
1: I see. So and why Avalanche? So there was a switch from Solana to Avalanche. Tell us a little bit about sort of what prompted you to find uh, the Avalanche community as your home base.
0: Yeah, so I'm an advocate of going, like skating to where the puck is going, not where the puck is. And I'm not saying that it's always ever never going to leave there. I think there's, of course, there's markets for each thing. But what I realized is there's just like this, there was like this empty void of an opportunity. And there is, I love the RWAs. I love the tokenization. I love the fact that there's brands that recognize it and use it. And it's like removing the aspect where it's like, oh, we're using a subnet. No, it's just, we're just using our loyalty program. And I think that bridge, the wording of it is the friction. You know, it's like, oh, this web two, web three, it's, you have to explain it. All of a sudden people have to learn both terms and they have to learn what they're doing. And then they're just like, oh, like not for me. Like for example, gamers, right? A lot of gamers and artists, they, um, they they were against NFTs because they're bad for the environment because that, that just went viral. And then when finding an artist and trying to get an artist to come in and do a collection, because so many of them got burned in the past by like bad actors, they're all like, nah, we're not touching it, even though it can empower them. And so I realized like there's this little gap, like not like a gap there. And um, if we can become a flagship, like a, at least acknowledge across, there's so much people and um that will that will contribute in terms of like that social club that never felt what it felt like to have being part of that, uh, social club. So it's like, okay, so you have like these high quality people building amazing things and they have never felt what it's like to be a part of one of those clubs, yep. it's just a matter of time before it happens. And so I was like, okay, how do we design it in a way where it can empower the chain itself while everyone is still doing what they're doing? It's not a one or the other. It's just a value add as like icing on top. You're already on Twitter. You might as well have fun with it mm-hmm. with another layer
1: yeah no this is uh there's so much that i want to ask you given given how much thought you've given to uh to nfts and where they're going but here's here's a question that i i've been sort of struggling with for some time so at least this is my view and and it might be incorrect but but here's how i look at this so i was around when people were building their own little microcomputers. right you'd buy chips and then you'd get like a PCB, you'd like solder it in there. And then you'd have like this eight bit computer that you could have at home and uh, you'd do things with it. It was really cool. And, uh, and then suddenly, and there were a lot of people doing this, right? You'd go to a meetup or what have you, like a gathering of, of electronics enthusiasts and you would just chat with them and you be like, oh, I use this and that, you know, whatever. You'd, you'd exchange tips. Uh, so those were the early days. And then people figured out how to use that technology to commercialize it to commoditize it to scale it up and so then you have you know like i would say apple is like the the culmination of that process and in the end you have the super sleek product group coming up with amazing products that anyone can use and then um you know in the dot-com era it started out with very basic services only a few people knew how to do it uh people were building their crappy little websites and suddenly people realized i can make money it explodes nfts okay If I look at NFT communities, it's mostly, um, I would say, grassroots, right? It's organic. It's people who are enthusiasts and people who really love it, who are there for all the right reasons in the very earliest of days. And at the same time, I look around here in Manhattan, there are these huge brands. They would do anything like they would literally pay hundreds of dollars to get the kind of engagement that you got with Tokyo. Right. So, you know, what you're doing is something that they aspire to and don't know how to get at. And I don't know how those two things are going to converge. And I and I wonder if you've thought about it, like, you know, are NFTs forever in your mind, like something that you do in a, you know, in a sort of a a grassroots basis or or what's the future of commercialization? What happens when brands come in? They want to engage with NFTs. They want to engage with users. They want that passion from their users. You know, in a way that they're not getting with Delta Point. What the hell is a Delta Point? Delta Point is an NFT, right? And if you hold enough of them, they let you fly for free. So, uh, so they, but they probably would kill to to get that engagement, and and they haven't done it yet. So, how do you see those two universes colliding?
0: Yeah. So that's that's an amazing point. So, the what I think is happening here is a lot of these guys will just mint a membership pass that looks like a membership. Okay, that's like having a credit card, right? You're not going to walk around with your credit card on your face and like be like hey like so i i think they're missing the human element they're missing the emotional like connection to this like to the tribe and the bigger you get the harder it is to keep it so mm-hmm. i think what's happening now is you'll see these big brands they'll go and they'll buy the micro brands that are based off the influencers yeah and they'll just own sense. a bunch of them and it'll be almost like a hedge against like okay we're gonna start to like corner this and this is what we want to do and this because they can't relate to this gen z they can't relate to these newer people because they have their stockholders this that. So they have mm-hmm. all these rules at the top and they can't just go say what they want to say on Twitter because they can't. But mm-hmm. these other smaller boutique brands that are already known for that can be subsidiaries of them. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to start to see this like infusion of like once the art gets better you got these like Apple headsets. People can choose how they want to show up. People mm-hmm. like if you if you want to have this status. Like I think what, what what excites me a lot is like a passport type of thing where it's like You have the if I go to a Hilton hotel or I go to like this area or this uh, I fly here. Being a member of this gets you gets you access and you and it's a white glove service. You don't need to go and do a bunch of I have to sign up this and open my wallet and do that. It's just a quick like okay, I have this, I'm good to go. And um, it's going to be up to them to take care of these like boutique areas. And then I think eventually it's going to just be, I mean maybe maybe not. Mm -hmm. I know I know it's like uh there's that. I think the VR. The reason I, I don't like saying VR because I think it's just going to turn into what the world is with all these headsets. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we're living in a world where a lot of people are becoming more self-conscious because they're so behind the screen a lot. And you're seeing like VTubers now becoming famous and no one knows what they look like because they yep. can choose who they want to be. That's really big in Asia, but it hasn't come over here yet. And I think there's going to be an aha moment where it just it doesn't become weebish anymore. It just becomes like, oh, this is part of life. It's cool. And yep. you can actually see that Apple's starting to slowly... When you watch their commercials, when they when they release their uh, they release their new items. It looks like you're watching it through the lens. Like even the actual film quality of like the way that they're showing mm. their release for their items, it looks like you're literally wearing it. Hmm. So they're already prepping you, your eyes and your your audience to to be to welcome it. And it's it's just it's it's a matter of time before you start walking and everybody's wearing one. You know, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully dystopian world.
1: It's it's a bit dystopian, and uh, I will attest to the. Uh, the addictive nature of this thing so uh you know um i haven't spent that much time i have spent you know 15 minutes playing one game Godzilla off the grid amazing i'm totally addicted i must. congrats have- by this the way it.
0: congrats so, on it. that
1: thank you it's coming out i'm so excited and i'm i'm a i'm an npc in that game so if you want to come on and, and you know whatever hang out with me in, in the game i'm there i keep saying like very dramatic things um, but, you know, this is how I discovered that I have an addictive personality. I played the game for, like, 15, 20 minutes, and I, like, have dreams about the, 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 the game world. And similarly, um, I uh, put on an AR, AR mask uh, maybe, like, 10, 10 years ago at Cornell, one of the, so the, the highest-end units imaginable. It's a research unit, obviously a very heavy, bulky, not very good. But I ended up, you know, like in two seconds, you end up doing funny stuff, right? You, I ended up putting a dancing kid on the wall. I ended up putting a whole bunch of things on like various different uh, walls in the in the department, in the computer science department at Cornell. And ever, ever after that, I could not walk by those same walls without feeling empty. It's like, where's the dancing kid? I put him there, right? That's my artwork. And, and every time I see the blank wall, I'm like, I, I got to get the, the headset on. So this AR thing is going to be very very big for sure, uh, but I think the uh, the hardware is just not there yet. Have you had a chance to play with the latest uh, Apple Gear? Oh yeah, uh, Not
0: yet. I've been watching videos and I'm like, should I just do it and just for the sake of? But yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm in a remote area, but when, once I travel, I'll I'll pick. I I'll most likely pick one up. I just just for the culture, just to play around yeah. with it and see. I, I yeah. do believe that you know there's there's variable there's opportunities. And it's good to, like, at least maybe not buy one, but play around and understand where, where it can go.
1: Yeah, that's one of my to-do things this weekend. I'm, I'm going to walk into an Apple store and, uh, and play, with, uh, play with the, uh, the Vision Pro. So, uh, but let's get back to you and your story. So you have a very interesting background. Where did you grow up? And uh, so what's, the, uh, sort of what's the, uh, the cultural arc that took you to NFTs in the end? Um, are we going to broach that topic or is it too personal?
0: No, no. Yeah, we can talk about it. So I I grew up in Toronto, and I was cutting hair. I I started in a Jamaican barbershop. And so I I learned how to read the room really quick. Uh, It wasn't like, it was just one of those, like I was the, like, they would literally just call me white boy, right? They would call in and be like, (laughs) I want the white boy to cut me, you know, so I would go (laughs) learning patois a little here and there, uh, jerk chicken, Jamaica, being like understanding the culture, and just being immersed in something completely new to me. Mm -hmm. And um, that was fun. And then i realized it's like it's like each one of those is like a pocket and then i think what really got me excited about nfts was when i so it's it's like that nature of connecting right it's like it felt like its own barbershop it's felt like this tribe and uh for me i would cut people's hair i worked my way all the way up to you know cut, cutting um i had a spot on lakeshore i opened my own barbershop and my goal was like it's going to be like a very white glove take care of the people so like if you're coming to get a haircut i would call you and be like listen i'm three minutes late or i'd send you a text because I want to be right on time. I got to cut a lot of like sweet C-suite guys, uh, celebs towards the end, and then I would just give off a lot of my clients to a bunch of my other barbers. And so the conversations were really cool. They were very around family. What are you doing after? What drives you? And I was like, um, it. And then, or if I'm like someone, just you know, psychiatrist. It's like they have all these problems. So I started to learn a lot about just like helping people. Like they'll they'll vent to me about their their life. I would go home and I would research it. Okay, maybe I can help them out. And then I, I learned really quick that it's not about solving their problems. It's more so just giving the space for them to just like feel cool. Like, okay, I'm taking a break. It's like a relief. I'm going to get a haircut and I'm going to leave feeling better. I look better. I feel better. And so it's like, how do you emulate that into, you know, what we're doing? And so, um, yeah, one more point about the NFT side is some of my biggest guys, I'll, I'll, I'll message them personally and say, hey, do you want to hop on a call? But just I'll give you a little rundown of what's going on. And it means so much. Mm-hmm. And so I just do that as much as possible, and, and of course balance real life with that too. Because sometimes we yeah, get how do odd. you do?
1: How do you do that? Hang on, I have to step in because this is one of the hardest questions I get, and uh, I always mumble my way through my answer because I don't have a good answer. So uh, the work-life balance question: How do you balance those those two things? My answer is, you know, I I don't really. I'm not very good at this. <laughs> That's my real answer. But uh, but I want to hear yours. How do you keep the two things in check?
0: No, I agree. And, and to be honest, like I'm um, I'm grateful to be in the position that I'm in. And uh when I get into something that inspires me, I just fully immerse myself. So like there is no like, and um I have a coach that was telling me, he's like, look, if you're gonna overwork, just make sure you rest a suitable amount because you can't do that for, for a long time because you're just gonna burn out and then you're wasting that energy that you could just be resting anyways and just enjoying. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just like whatever you're doing, it's like just do the most thing that the the, mo- the thing that gives you the most level of excitement. And I just follow that. And then it's like, okay, take a little break. Maybe I'll disconnect. I'll play a little bit of uh, like video games or something. But uh, even that is like probably not the healthiest. But one thing that really helped me in terms of just like, you know, like calming is I, I, I do ice baths in the morning. I don't know That's if you've done crazy. one crazy.
1: That's totally nuts. And you are the second founder I'm talking to. In fact, the second in a row um, who, who does this whole show. You do the whole Wim Hof ice bath thing.
0: Yeah. So at first, when I first did it, I like, it was just, you're in the, you're in the bath and it's like, you're looking at the timer and it's like 20 seconds. You're like, I need to get out. I need to get out. And now that I'm used to it, I actually, I just take a couple of deep breaths and then just right in. And then the trick is just to even your breath and like learning that you can do that in everything, right? When you're in the middle of, you're just about to jump on something or talk in front of a crowd of thousands of people. You just do that same. I got this. And so it trains your brain in a weird way, not just your body just freezing itself. But yeah, it's like it's a it's a very mental game.
1: So how does how does this work logistically? So I can imagine you doing this in Toronto. But uh, but, you know, anywhere else, how do you do this? Where's the ice? Where's the bath? Yeah. So,
0: so you know, those like meat freezers, the top the top freezers. Yeah. So I literally my my pops like silicone all the inside of it. And then we bought a we bought like a pump, like a like a like a pool pump. Uh-huh. And then uh, like a mini one and then just like an ozone and it's on a timer. So and as soon as the temperature gets a certain prep thing, it just turns the freezer back on. So it's always the same. I, oh, I clean man. it. I just drain it. And then <laughs> I just open the top, turn the switch because I don't want to get electrocuted. I yeah.
1: just I, I go in. <laughs> This is please don't get electric This is crazy. I i look I look with great respect at everyone who does that Wim Hof thing. You know, I've tried the cold uh cold shower in the morning. It's just so incredibly uncomfortable. You're like, what the hell would I do this to myself for? But uh but I totally hear you on the breathing side. So uh I used to um I used to I still do. I I used to dive, I used to free dive. You know, it's a lot of holding your breath and controlling your Inner processes, and it's very meditative for me. I would go on these like three, four-hour, um, you know, diving uh, whatever excursions, and um, just hold your breath and dive, and hold your breath and come up, and it's it really calms you down. And that's one of the main things that I found for dealing with stress is controlling your breath, controlling your inner processes, being able to focus and narrow. Um, but uh, cool, okay, so um, so we're now doing this Wim Hof thing. Um, dokio is growing where do you see dokio so you've got all of your mechanisms in place for dealing with stress for you you've got your setup uh for uh, for growing the community where do you want it to go what's what's success for you you know down the line
0: yeah so i would say success is we launch multiple products that make it out you know like they because if you look at the space there's not many projects that really break through you know, it's a lot of the same, you know, and I would say, yeah, like launching products that don't look like they're related at all. It's just, we're just like a fun tank, think tank where our community just keeps with our ideas. And as soon as you get one really good one, you build that credibility. And I would say having that like passport type of level of access and just just keep taking care of whoever's involved. So I would say on a high level, yeah, it's like one, one of the ideas I had recently was, Imagine this passport where like this becomes my Godzilla profile and it's mm-hmm. connected to this NFT. That's my character. And then yeah. I build up all these rep, all these tools, everything I have. And then it's like, I can now go and just be like, here's my profile. I'm- you want to start the new game? This is what I've done. This is what it's worth. And so like little ideas and integrating the tech in that way, just to, to really, I-, I think gaming is VR, AR. I think these are all, you know, they'll, it's the future come. just how, how is it going to, and, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Man, there's some things I have zero clue. But I'm just being as receptive as possible, where it's like, okay, that's like I like the V tubing, There's something about it. I just, I'll, I'll give you an example. So
1: yeah.
0: I read this thing about sushi, right? I don't know how true it is. Maybe it's just some fa- fancy story. So this one guy, uh, sushi was never popular in the states, right? They had it in the, they had it in in uh, in Asia, and then they brought it over. And in, in California, it's because they used to wrap the seaweed on the outside, and it looked and it was raw fish, and it just wasn't accepted uh, culturally. And from my understanding, there was this one place in, in California that, that they wrapped the rice on the outside and they put like cooked chicken on the inside. And that like ended up creating this like boom where it's like, whoa, this is like tasty. And then, then mm-hmm. they actually tried the raw one and they're like, this is really good too. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just gonna be that like aha moment where someone's gonna figure it out. Like this is why it works and this is how it works. Mm-hmm. And the tech will be able to sustain it. And then it's all, all of a sudden it's just gonna be like boom, open.
1: Cool. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's like everything in life. There are a bunch of factors that have to just all coincide for really great success, right? You need to have the audience mentally ready for the next leap. You need to have the audience sort of uh, that has made enough money, so to speak, or has enough disposable income to be able to experiment with things. So we have to be at the right, right uh, point in the cycle, in the macro cycle. And of course, all the tooling has to be there under you, and then of course it's up to you to build the the rest of the success. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the tooling also. So you you launched on Hyperspace, right? Yeah. And and what was your experience with it? How did that go? And uh, what what's the uh, what role does does the underlying marketplace play in the success of a, of a good NFT series?
0: Yeah. So so Hyperspace, what they did was they relieved us having to do anything tech related. Where 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 it's convenient, but it's at the same time. I guess it would be great to have like a CTO that's like helping, like that's very forward thinking. Where it's like, okay, we can recreate this, this, that. So I would say the role that they play is important in terms of just other chains being familiar with that style of marketplace because mm-hmm. they're used to it, so, and so that onboarding process was a little easier because it wasn't like they had to learn something new. Mm-hmm. So I would say that was one variable, and. um, uh, and the exposure and, and, of course, we have incentives and other things and that helped a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have just the way the space works or is like, oh, wow, like you're topping charts. Why? All of a sudden, you know, I'll, I'll give you a perspective of it is like we launched and we went under mints, right? We were mm-hmm. like half the price of what it cost. And, of course, we launched very low. Uh, AVAX was close to like its bottom and mm-hmm. we were dealing with all the heat of that. And I, remember, well, one whole year I was talking to people. So as mm-hmm. soon as we launch and it goes down, everyone starts calling me. Yep. everyone's on that like, hey, um, are you going to like leave? Mm-hmm. If you do, just let me know. Like, like people that were like, oh, I'm so excited. And then we had like all these um, partnerships and opportunities. Everything was like, OK, can't touch these guys, whatever. Then all the incentive structures, the market pumped, everything happened at the same time. Within like five days to a week, mm-hmm. everyone was like, dude, I believed in you all along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yep. <laughs> you know? oh, let's yeah. work. Let's do this. Like, and I'm like, oh, OK. So the perception, nothing has changed. The whole idea was always the same. It's just the lens at which it was looked at yep. was completely different, and I think that's what really helped. And it and it did. I can't say that it was us and it was the art. It was it was a, an accumulation of everything. But I think the perceived value, ultimately, is what drives it. As of right now, will it change in the future? Maybe,
1: mm-hmm. but for
0: now, it's like yeah, it does matter. The price does matter. Let's let's mm-hmm. be real.
1: No price action begets uh, begets more price action. Uh, that's that's I think universally true. And uh, that's one of the things that makes this space uh, what we we would call power law, right? So that's why there are only a few winners and a whole bunch of middling ones and so on. Because, uh, you know, and it is a game, if you ask me, uh, trading NFTs is a game of trying to figure out where the masses are going to go. That's why it's challenging. That's why people find it fun. That's why the people who are best at it are the ones who have their ear closest to the ground. So uh, it's really a game of, I feel so connected to where sort of cool people are that I think I can predict what they will be into. And and that's really the NFT game. It's a a fun game. So let's see two more questions, two last questions for you. If you had to go back or if you could go back and do things differently with DoKio, what would you change? Hmm. If anything,
0: you know, I wouldn't change anything because I think everything I learned for a reason, I would most likely change the when it came to sourcing people out, getting like multiple quotes. Like I i was just so ecstatic and I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. I really I would just slow things down because I was like it, when everything's happening at the same time, you're you just want to get things done. And I would say there's no rush, and it's like, even though yes, there is slightly pressure for whatever, it happens to do time. So I would say, yeah, I would just I would just center myself more often. But mm-hmm. other than that, I learned a lot of lessons, and so uh yeah. And it was it was a big aha moment because it's like once you're once you're, you know, you're you can advise as much as you want. But when you start your own thing, you learn so much about like it's your baby. Right. And you, yeah. you're you going through the motions and you're learning about people and the way that they treat you correlated to what you're doing. And then so it's like it's just it's now you're in their arena. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you have the responsibility. The more successful it gets, the more pressure I feel. And then if yeah, it wasn't course. successful, I, I still feel pressure. So it's like you're entering this world and you better have courage. And I think that's like why it's like perfectly for that brand.
1: Oh, that's yeah. That's a very good tie back to the brand. So what are these lessons that you would actually, what are some of them that you would, uh, you would, you would want to pass on to the next set of founders that come after you?
0: I would say, yeah, that's, that's an amazing question. So I would say like play in the hobby, like. That that you truly feel and like you don't do it for a specific reasons. So one of them was like, we went to like I love Japan. I, lo- I watch anime. I've been there's something about the hive mind that just fascinates me where everybody's on one side of the escalator. They take care of each other. There's this they had this like study where the guy just opens his his lug, his his lug um his briefcase with a bunch of papers and they see how fast everybody around them helps. It was like it was ex- like ridiculous. Like everyone's like, oh and so I think like there's this level of hospitality that when, and then I'm like i have to go there and mm-hmm. so my first trip there my friend took us around and that was when we shot that that video with the vending machines that kept switching oh, okay.
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and um i was just a kid and I was like wow like and we had this video where they were going to record me with headphones i was walking down the street and then the whole video was like he was behind me and then i turned around and i looked at him i'm like this is lame man i'm not feeling this at all he's like he's like same he's like i'm like okay let's go to the coffee shop let's brainstorm a little bit and we're like Man, there's something about the vending machines. It's just so convenient. And they're everywhere, and they're there when you need them. I'm like, and it feels like a portal. Let's just record. And so the energy that we had, being very enthusiastic, went into the go-to-market videos. It, all the love and like appreciation went into each thing, and people felt it when they saw it. So that mm-hmm. first video, it went like semi-viral. Yeah, it's um, and everyone thought we were a game. Someone thought we were. They didn't know what we were, and as soon as they found out we were an NFT, the views just went. <laughs> okay, now I'm operating on expert hard mode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens. I just I just watched the movie. I I watched Beekeeper, and all the bad guys were into NFTs. So uh, so what what's maybe that's my I mean I, I'm done done asking questions, but but uh, well, I'm curious. What's up with the NFT perception in the in the sort of the wide world out there, and how do we fix it?
0: Yeah, I think. I think it's because it's such a attention economy that like last like it's like the whole world's an attention economy but then you get into nfts it's like like you were saying earlier it's literally sentiment trading like you're trading like the emotions but on top of it how much someone feels attached to something yeah. and i think in the last cycle like board apr club and like they had that whole cycle where they started getting celebrities and the mainstream in and then if you look at it like from a perspective of them they became exit liquidity It became very easy money for a guy to be like, let me use your art. Let me take the money. And so it left a bad taste in majority, majority of people. Right. And so there is ways to get back and it's empowering, but it's like, it's not regulated. So it's like so many, and and I'm not saying I want it or I don't know what the whole process would look like. I just think that once you start to have proper ways that things get used and then people are like, oh, okay. And, um, the right framework where, okay, this one artist maybe becomes an educator and starts to like onboard his whole audience. It's just a matter of time before it becomes accepted. But yeah, from a mainstream standpoint, there's like so many weird rumors where it's like, uh, they hurt the environment. It's, it's uh,
1: That's, that's old. I think that's because of Ethereum one. So yeah. when NFTs were going big, big on Ethereum, uh, Ethereum was still using proof of work and, uh, the amount of energy they used to create a block was like insane. Was maybe 10,000 times higher than the amount of energy we used. So, um, so we used on Avalanche. So, um, so that I know, I spoke to Rifik for example, Rifik Anadol. I don't know if you know this fellow, but he is probably the top generative art person. Um, and uh, he was saying that he just won't be able to get into many galleries if he ever mints on a proof of work chain. You just can't. Like you can't yeah. go to a European gallery and say. I minted these NFTs, and they'll just be like you. Just literally cannot walk in through the door anymore. So, um, so the the invention of of, um, of efficient blockchains was actually absolutely an enabler for getting you know people with sensibilities, people who care about the environment, to to be on chain. So that's I think I'm I'm really glad that happened. I'm glad Ethereum also moved on to proof of stake. It's healthier for them. It's healthier for their economics. They don't have to burn and give as many tokens uh, uh, to, uh, to miners. Anyway, I can, I can go on. you trigger triggered a technical rant. So, <laughs> so I'm so, curious,
0: uh, I'm curious, speaking of technical. So you ahead. were a professor and in this process, you're learning, you're, you're adapting, you see this tech. What was the moment where you're like, Whoa, it's time to, it's time to put this into motion and, and create this. This is my baby. Like, how do I like where,
1: Oh, that's easy. So, I mean, I can, I'll tell you exactly how it happened for me. Um, I always thought that this area was going to explode. I was doing this way before anybody. Um, I, I built a system called karma in 2002, it was published in 2003. So it's, that's part of the record that anyone can check. And if you read the paper, it's got proof of work minting in it. So I was doing Bitcoin stuff way before Bitcoin. Um, so did satoshi improve upon the upon what i did in karma absolutely and in a very significant manner but uh, but i was always in this space uh, ever since i was a young young assistant professor i always thought we should build build uh, self-organizing systems they should be open to all i don't want to feel like i felt when i was a grad student which is there's this finance universe and i cannot connect i can't have a seat at the table Hundred and fifty thousand dollars just to have a a, a, a an API feed that's ridiculous. It's that should be for free as it is. You know the the avalanche APIs are free for anyone to use. So so that those were the values that attracted me. You know building open systems where anyone can compete on an equal footing. That was the thing that attracted me. But uh, then when I read the Bitcoin paper, I thought, oh, this is brilliant. Except he's making claims that I don't think are true. Um, so you know we kind of had a the had some fun with it. Then I was like, I'm going to be in this area. I'm going to do research. There are a lot of questions that these folks don't know the answer to that I think I can find the answers to. And so I was like, okay, well, we're going to look at scalability. We're going to look at decentralization and how to get more of it. We're going to look at uh, uh, security of coins at rest and so on and so forth. So those were all the things I worked on. And at some point it became clear that, hey. The world at large doesn't know how to build proper proof of stake systems. They maybe can do engineering optimizations. They can maybe take the plugs out and you know go downhill really fast and maybe build something fast that works on a good day, but they don't know how to build robust, fast systems. And uh, someone has to show them that this area isn't just being invented by Satoshi. It's There's a lot of academic work behind it. And I will bring in what my fellow academics know, as well as I'll bring in my own expertise and we'll build some new stuff. So that's how I got into where I am. It was a fun, super fun experience. So I don't know that there was an aha moment for me. At some point though, I did, I did say this. I was like, this avalanche thing is so big that I can't let other people run with it. They're gonna screw it up. I have to be there to make sure that it's implemented properly. And uh, that was an aha moment. And uh, the rest is history. I think it worked out fairly well. Uh, for us and you know we managed to bring something amazing into the world
0: that's a, that's an incredible story I, I think it's it's, so it's interesting too about how um it's like one thing led to another and now you're like you know what it reminds me of it's like you're like the the, the grandpa at the table and like oh, no God. one at <laughs> the family no one at the family would be there unless you had like everybody that's like you know like it's like it's like thanks man because of yeah. you all of this exists.
1: No, no, it's not. I, I wouldn't claim it. I wouldn't. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a humble person. The table would still be around. There'd be more scammers at it, I think. And uh, it, it would use crappier technology. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it would still be around. But, but no, I, and I would like to think that I'm still hip. You know, it's like the thing with grandpas. Uh, no, no,
0: you're not a grandpa. You're not a grandpa. Bad I'm analogy. not that old.
1: Not that old. Although, it's, at times, it feels like the space does age you. And, uh, and it does feel like I've been around for a very long time. It's only been, the space has only been around, what, for um, 11 years. So It's not that long.
0: Yeah. The last, I would say the last three years have felt like t- 10 plus for, for yep. me, at least it's, it's just speed, yeah. the speed at which things move.
1: Yeah. You've seen that meme, right? The white haired guy with the white beard is like, who says crypto ages you fast? I'm 23 and I feel great. <laughs> so, so I agree. Uh, that does happen. So, um. Okay. On that note, um, shall we? Uh, we're, we're over time, but uh, this was so much fun getting to understand sort of what drives Dokyo, but much more importantly, what drives you. And uh, it sounds like we're also looking forward to a, a full pipeline of uh, exciting other projects that uh, that are in, in that are coming in the in future future months, years. Well, what's the timeline? Yeah. So we're, we're
0: we're working on one right now. It's uh, we had four workshops with the community. Ah. And it's, so we are, you know, Liquid Death. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Water? Yes. We're doing something similar with noodles. Okay. So we don't know if it's going to be this specific name, but calling it Nudes. And uh, we're looking at lanes to have fun with it. So just one way of just completely detaching, but still having maybe a potential where the people that pitched in can help contribute to it. Uh So we'll have some fun with that and see if it makes sense
1: cool and if people are excited about dokios about newts about brando in general where do they go where where shall we direct them
0: yeah so you can go to the DoKio world's twitter my personal twitter is 0x brando and the website is being built and it's coming soon so that'll have everything and we have a discord community as well as said awesome. DoKio.
1: awesome thank you so much brando for sharing your time with us for getting to see you know letting us see a glimpse of you know who you are how you think and so on and uh and for everyone else uh you know thank you for hanging out with us and uh and uh, uh and i hope uh, that you'll follow up on uh, brando's next new projects as well as take a look at dokio's uh they are on hyperspace and i think they are maybe on multiple marketplaces besides hyperspace as well too right yeah okay excellent so thank you so much brando thank you for making the time and thank you everyone for uh, for coming on on board and uh, i'll hope to see you on chain
0: all right